bet you didn't know, some of you will, that you have a pastor that's been arrested three times. Been arrested three times, and I was in the pokey once. Got up real close and personal to the Harper police station, probably closer than I wanted to. And I spent pretty much 12 hours in a drunk cell. I was not drunk. Let me explain. About 20 years ago, I used to work. I used to volunteer for an organization called uh, Operation Rescue. And this Operation Rescue was a huge anti-abortion movement. Not so much anymore. But we used to go to abortion clinics and actually block them from people getting in. And we would chain ourselves together or to the doors. And basically what we do, we would do, we would, would be passive resistance. We would lay down on the ground or sit down on the ground and not move. It was really effective most of the time except in Hartford, which I spent a total of about three seconds on the ground before Hartford police decided to drag me off to the pulpit. I want to show you that I do not have a record, that all charges were cleared, and so you can invite me over for dinner. <laughs> Although I might, you know, stop and block your door and keep anybody else from coming in. <laughs> but that's just a little protest humor. Very little protest humor. <laughs> but those memories came flooding back to this past couple of few weeks because I've been really frustrated, really disturbed. More disturbed than I usually am. And I thought it would be nice if I shared my disturbance with you today. The news of... Uh, it has been flooded with a lot of bad news. News that a lot of the Christian world is seemingly downcast. Troubled. You have the same-sex marriage issue. You have the abortion issue, and these are two things that burn heavily on my heart. And, it, and the, the latest news, which we all know what it is, it, it was troubling me, but not so much the issues themselves, although they are troubling. It was really my response to those issues. I was wondering what my response to these things should be. And in wrestling with these things with Father God, I, I had probably more questions than I had answers. And I kept on getting more and more kind of agitated by spirit about what, what my response to these, to these issues should be. I thought of this question. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today. And these are questions I believe Father God is asking us to kind of work in our hearts. Here's the first question. How do we engage this culture with truth without being afraid? Without becoming lukewarm, merely tolerant? How do we do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to wrestle with things. Father, that you want to move in our hearts in such a manner that, that it's disturbing to us so that we can open our hearts to you for you to pour in your spirit, your understanding, your wisdom, your discernment so that we can move through this culture and in effect change. And Father, we admit and I admit 
fully, not knowing how to do this effectively. So I pray, Father, that today the things that you have put on my heart to share would start to answer some of these questions or at least ask more questions so that we can hear from you. We need to hear from you. I need you to empty me of me today so that you can speak through me, speak your heart, your words, your wisdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And if that is true, then how do we reach those hearts? How do we reach those hearts? It's not a political answer. It's not a social justice answer. It's a spiritual answer. So when I was kicking these things around, or they were kicking me around, uh, I went to Titus 2. Titus 2 is a very small book. Let's let's start in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify Him for Himself a people for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. And verse 15 really was the kicker for me. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I love making declarations. I love making bold statements in my life. It's it's something that I like to do. My wife knows this about me. I like to make these things because... They're kind of like a set point in time for me. So when the Bible says declare these things, I pay attention to it because it, it speaks to my heart. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. So I, I dug into this scripture a little bit more. You know what the word exhort in Greek means? To call near. Call near to invite. To invite. Rebuke has gotten a real negative connotation to it. But rebuke is a wonderful word. It sounds natural. I say the word rebuke, and what images does it evoke in your mind? Someone maybe pointing a finger and being really hard and nasty? More than likely. Rebuke means in the Greek to convict or to convince. So we have to call near and then we have to convince, convict. 
And then we have it with all authority. Letting no one disregard you. Exhorting and rebuking, I at least got the sense that these two things are supposed to work together. And we do it with all authority. Authority, sometimes we get, again, another negative connotation to this word authority. We think it's someone telling us what to do. Authority is much more than that. Authority is the power to influence someone. And even more so for us because we know someone who can really change people's lives. So you got all these things working together. It's a powerful combination. So I thought about this, and God gave me more questions. But listen to these questions. How can we call someone near? How can we exhort someone? How can we call them near? How can we invite them when they seem so far from God? And if we can, what does that invitation look like? And how can an invitation combine with a review? Convince someone of their need to change. This is really interesting. Let no one disregard you. Really? How's that work when our belief system is challenged every day? Do you feel disregarded at times? I do. With all authority. So what kind of power is needed to call people near when they are so opposed to our beliefs? And when we're so seemingly different from them? Okay, so... You, you got to give me something here. You're giving me nothing but questions. You know? You're not giving me any answers. <laughs> See, now I want you to read about Zacchaeus. So if you go to Luke 19, let's read about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I love this story for so many, many reasons. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is also the chief. Which means, basically, he's skimming off from everybody. Not just his own people, he's Jewish, but from the other tax collectors. This is a very wealthy man. He's also a very hated man. So I want you to kind of imagine, if you were so hated, if you knew you were so hated, that it was very difficult for you to even step in public. You were no longer allowed in the synagogue. Your friends were probably under other tax collectors, and we all know how those kind of things. You know, tax collectors are, have a bad reputation. Then they haven't gotten much better than that. This man is an outcast. Maybe deservedly so. He's, he's a traitor to his own people. He's hated. But he has this overwhelming desire to see Jesus. And Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and 
enriched. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. I'm thinking, is there a hated individual? Being up in a tree might be the safest place to be in the crowd. There are a lot of people jostling around. Who knows what can happen to a small person in a crowd who's hated? So I'm also thinking, not just because he's small, maybe this is the best, safest place for him to be, is up in a tree. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Wow. You're one of the most hated people around. Everyone despises you. You've got nobody. There's a crowd of people. You happen to be stuck with the tree, and Jesus says, You're the one I want to spend time with today. I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house today. Jesus doesn't wait for an invitation, he invites himself. He calls Zacchaeus near. He exhorts him. Come near. I'm not even going to wait for you to invite me. I'm going to invite myself into your life. I am making a declaration right now in front of all these people who's important to me. I know who he is. It doesn't matter. I'm going to hit him. Today. Jesus brings his own welcome and he opens Zacchaeus' heart to receive. And this is Jesus' declaration of acceptance. Zacchaeus is so moved by this encounter. It's amazing. People are grumbling. They're saying, oh, Jesus is going. He's going to be a guest of a guy who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and makes his own declaration. He stands to make a point. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. We don't really know how long this encounter is. I don't even think Jesus has gotten to his house yet. And Zacchaeus is so moved by Jesus' acceptance, by Jesus' exhortation, that he's convicted. He's convinced. And he has a heart change. Jesus is so moved, and Jesus says, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. 
that was a very important phrase. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The term, the phrase, Son of Abraham, is huge to the Jewish people. Remember, Zacchaeus is an outcast. He's not allowed in the synagogue, and he's no longer really considered a Jew by the other Jews. He has forfeited his place in the covenant of Abraham by the fact of his traitor-like behavior to the people. Jesus said, oh, he's also a son of Abraham. And you know what that phrase means? God's beloved. God's beloved. What a declaration Jesus is making here to an outcast person. To a person no one wants to hang around, that no one wants to be friends with, that no one desires to have pass the time of day with, whatever phrase you want to use, they want nothing to do with this man. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. By the way, salvation has come here. I'm here. Of course salvation has come. There's something about Jesus' life that makes people change. His life brings a rebuke, but it's done in gentleness. It's done in love. And it's very effective. Zacchaeus' name is Aramaic. What's his name? His name is pure. His name means pure, and now it is. Because Jesus has come to his house. He's come to his heart and he's made a change. What do we declare? Back in Titus. What do we declare? Declare these things. Why do we need to? Chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy. Perfect courtesy means towards all people. Why do we do this? For we, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice. Envy, hatred by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and our Savior appeared, He saved us. He drew us near. Not because of the works done in us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Who He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. I want you to declare these things so that those who have believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. These things are excellent and profitable 
for people. There is a phrase that's pretty popular. I'm going to make an apology or a, I apologize in advance. I don't, I don't mean any disrespect if you use this phrase. I, I absolutely hate this phrase. I've always hated this phrase. I'm about to tell you. Again, if you use it, I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I, I, I personally cannot use this phrase because it, it just disturbs me too much. The phrase is, hate the sin but love the sinner. Because of the scriptures I just read, I don't think that's a statement that really should come out of at least in my mind. How about we hate sin but we love people? To me, that's a different mindset. That's a mindset that's willing to exhort, just to call, call near. It's a, it's a heart set that allows me to see like Jesus sees people. To see people stuck up a tree, needing a Savior that's willing to go to their house, to where they live, to the crowd they hang around in. And say, I'm inviting myself into your life. I'm not waiting for an invitation. I'm not waiting for you to clean up your act. I'm not waiting for you to make a statement. I'm making the declaration already. I'm coming to your house. I'm inviting myself into your life. Because I know who did that for me. See, I was all these things. And I was all these things. I was slave to various passions. Pleasures. I pass my days in malice and envy, hatred. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God said, I'm inviting myself into your new life, I was changed. I was convinced. That rebuke, that gentle rebuke, that gentle conviction of Christ brought me back into the light. And that is the way that exhortation and rebuking with all authority works together. Because authority is influence. The power to influence someone. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So that we can do these things. We can invite ourselves into people's lives and make a difference in them. Hate the sin and love the sinner. I just don't think it cuts it. I think it's a way of us categorizing people and putting them over there. Everyone called Zacchaeus the sinner, and, and by definition, yes, of course, he was. But Jesus called him the son of Abraham. Because Zacchaeus made his own definition of who he now was. For the account of Jesus Christ. I mentioned tolerance before. Tolerant is a lukewarm sickening thing. So 
calling Christians to be tolerant. It's, we should not be tolerant of anything. One of the medical definitions of tolerance is this. A decreased responsiveness to stimulus, especially over a period of continual exposure. When a people, a group, an organization, a nation preaches or teaches tolerance over truth, it has a numbing effect and words lose their effectiveness. You contrast that with the Word of God and you have a much different outcome. You have you have a group that convinces people. Because we're doing it with the authority of Christ Jesus, which gives us the power to influence people. See, tolerance is just accepting something and just turning our heads. We can't turn our heads. We have to engage this culture with the positive news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we must do it the best that way that we can figure ourselves at any moment in time. 1 Peter 3.15 gives us a kind of a clue to this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for what? For the hope that is in you. And yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is how we exhort and review with all authority. We can't let anyone disregard us. We have, because of the grace of God, not because of any righteousness that we have done, we have the truth. We've been set free by the truth. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. All authority. We can affect change. Tolerance will not. Love will. True love will. Jesus shows that. So what does our life declare? We declare the grace of salvation. We declare the power of salvation. And we declare the hope we make no excuses for this. This is the truth. Commerce has no place in our lives. We don't want to become numb, indifferent, uncaring. We want to engage. We want to walk into situations like Jesus did. must be an open invitation to help others come near the Savior. Rebuking, convincing people is done with gentleness and kindness. Jesus showed us the way. Look, I still have a lot of questions. I'm, I'm not completely sure of my response all levels but I know that my heart has to change. I'm not saying political 
working, we must be involved politically. We have the privilege of having the right to vote in this country. And we should engage in it. Those who are called to the political arena should engage with everything that God has given them to do so on their level. But I am convinced that that will not bring change. Reaching people's hearts will bring change. Laws and legislation will only back up. You can't legislate morality. We've tried in this country. Look at how far that's been. Our lives must be an invitation to, to have people draw near. We must find ways to invite ourselves into people's lives. And I, beyond the areas that we normally would. And I, I admit that, that I do not know what that looks like on all of us. I believe he's doing that individually for us, and I think corporately as a, as a church, as a body of believers. We, we have this wonderful thing. We allow people come, to come in here who are broken and bruised. And we've seen many people come in here and they've been healed of those things, and they've maybe even gone to other places. But there are a lot more people out there who are broken and bruised, who are hated for their lifestyles. They're despised for the things that they do. No one wants them to be in their lives. Who are stuck up a tree somewhere, looking for Jesus, trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And we are those glimpses of Jesus, the way that we live and we give. So what I, I think what God is asking is that if you remember at the beginning of the year there was a word given that prepared to have your hearts enlarged. I believe God is still asking that of us because there are going to be people that are going to come through these doors who have been to a lot of different places and not been accepted because of the way they live. Because of the lifestyles that they live. And what will our response be to them as they walk through that door? I believe in the heart of this congregation that it will be a warm welcome. But I also believe that it needs to be more than that. Again, I don't know what exactly that is, but I think God's going to show us over the coming weeks. He's going to speak to us individually. Your guys are going to have more questions yourself. I hope that maybe sometime we can have a meeting like this where we can actually talk about these questions. I know I just brought them up. It probably caused more questions to come up in your mind. But these are things that we need to talk about and things we need to pray about because they're coming. They're coming. They need to come. And we need to go. Father, thank you for today. Thank you uh, that you enlarge our hearts. And There are a lot of Jesus out there that you want to call the love of God. So I pray the work that needs to be done in our hearts and our minds so that we understand what exhorting and rebuking with all authority means in our own personal walk with you. I pray, Father, today that that will become real. That you will do the work in our hearts that needs to be done. So that what you ask us to go to someone and to a 
invite them in or to invite ourselves into their lives, we know it should be you. And that we will not be afraid, but we will be bold and courageous. So we thank you for these things, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.